Hey, everyone. You may have read that there is some news about See Something, Say Something, which is that the show is ending its run here at BuzzFeed News. This is an episode that we did where we interviewed Amr Rahman. We are going to give that to you as it is without any sort of commentary on the ending of the show. But we are planning a send-off episode. I don't know exactly when it's coming. We need some time to prep it because we don't want to rush it. The show has meant so much to us and to our fans. So please stay tuned to listen to that. Hey everyone, I'm Amadil Yakbar and this is See Something, Say Something. This week we're talking to Australian comic Amr Rahman, who you may know from his viral reverse racism bit. I could be, I could be a reverse racist if I wanted to. Uh, all I would need would be a uh, time machine, right? And uh, what I'd do is I'd get in my time machine, I'd go back in time to before Europe colonized the world, right? And uh, I'd convince the leaders of Africa, Asia, the Middle East, Central and South America to uh, invade and colonize Europe, right? Just occupy them, steal their land and resources, set up some kind of like, I don't know, trans-Asian slave trade where we exported white people to work on giant rice plantations in China. So I'm joined by Amr Rahman, the comedian you just heard. His most recent work is a video series at IST called Can We Kick It? where he talks to a lot of really great comedians and actors and activists. Hey, Amr, how's it going, man? Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, Thanks for being here. So first, can you tell me a little bit about your new series, Can We Kick It? It's like uh, you were in New York for 10 days and you didn't call me. <laughs> I mean, well, like you're you're usually in Australia and now Istanbul, but like, tell me about this ten days in New York that you spent. So it was it was an idea I've had for a while, where I just wanted to hang out, basically, with like some of my favorite artists and creatives. Uh, and then it happened quickly. And then I was DMing people, and then everyone who I asked said yes. So Fantastic. it was like ten days in New York, thirteen shoots, just running around, kind of pulling this series together out of nowhere. Um, and it was hectic, but it was a lot of fun. And I got to catch up with uh, people that I'm, you know, just huge fans of, even though some of them are my friends. It doesn't kind of, it doesn't decrease my level of fanboy around them at all. Uh, yeah, you have a great uh, group of people. There's um, Hasan Minaj, Jay Smooth, Francesca Ramsey, um, and Hari Kondabolu, who calls you the Brooke Dave Chappelle. Brooke Daisy <laughs> Dave Chappelle. Um, which I was like, damn. <laughs> yeah, and then That's like, why they people said yes started hashtagging that on Twitter and YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. So um, I wanted to um, play a little game with you that we haven't played for a while on this show. It's sure. just It's called Halal or Not. And basically, I'm just going to ask Ooh. you a, about a concept, phrase, a word, and you just have to give you a quick up and down. Is it halal or is it not? And why? Okay. The first one, wearing shoes inside the house. Uh, halal, but highly discouraged. <laughs> Why is it highly discouraged? This is a fundamental hygiene issue. Like you cannot <laughs> be bringing in the outside world into your home and onto your couch and bed and where you live. Okay. It's not not okay. <laughs> I mean, the secondary, the secondary question is slippers or not inside the bathroom. The answer is always oh, you yeah. must have separate slippers for inside the bathroom. Yeah, I would get yelled at at my 
auntie's house if I didn't wear slippers. Actually, in the whole house, I wasn't allowed to not wear slippers. Oh yeah, like, oh, inside one of those. Slippers. Yeah, okay, that's yeah, that's also that's like my mom's house, like like no bare feet at all, <laughs> ever. Yeah, that's, but that's, but that's not like the outside kind of bare feet. You, you only wear the inside ones. Yes. Um, what about post Malone? Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> Post Malone is the pork of hip hop. We don't, we do not partake. <laughs> uh, and for the same reasons, unclean. No, no Post Malone on my fork. <laughs> no. Uh, what about bow ties? Bow ties? Yeah. Oh, bow ties? Yeah, of course. bow ties are fine. What could be wrong with bow ties? I feel like I really like them. Like you wear it in your reverse racism bit and you look really fly, but. In, like, the American context, I just can't put it on without thinking that I'm going to be perceived as, like, a Republican desi. Oh, like, it's, 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 it's like, a really square thing? It's like your Muslims for Trump kind of mm. accessory, I think. Mm. Is there no other accessory you can pair it with that can kind of cancel that out? Oh, maybe some, like, Malcolm X frames. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, or like, like if you lean, if if you made it look more Nation of Islam than Young Republican. Yeah, yeah, that might work. Maybe that'll work. That's I have never worn one before ever, and I really like experimenting with my clothes. But I have literally never even tried to put up put, put on a bunch. Do of it. Maybe, maybe 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 if it's not a full suit, maybe if it's like a jacket and slacks, but not like a a, a complete suit. Right. Right. Okay, I'm gonna give it a shot. There's um, only there's only one way to find out. We could, gotta take it back from um, Sajid Darar. I think was his name, the guy who is the Muslim for oh, Trump guy. Oh, the guy that uh, someone described as uh, Muslim Lex Luthor. Yes, yes, yes. That was the greatest. <laughs> that was one of the greatest descriptions I ever heard of him. Oh my god, that was such a perfectly. Oh no, ins- no, they said Lex Lahore. I actually don't think I remember. I remember, I feel like I remember people calling him Lex because he does look like Lex. The thing is, when he came on TV, you could just tell that he was scheming. It was like, what, what? This doesn't exist. Muslims for Trump doesn't exist. Um, And lastly, how do you feel about viral videos? Viral videos? Yeah. Viral videos rescued my career. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I want to know your thoughts on it. Tell me about it. Halal or not? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, I don't know. If it's a viral post Malone video, then we're in <laughs> then we're in murky waters. You know, if it's a quality viral video that's got some educational and comedy content, why not? Yeah, that's what uh you have, you know, a lot of people have heard of you through your reverse racism bit, which I think is like that perfect um compilation of both of those things. Can you tell me about why did it save your career and what did it do for you? So, uh, I mean, I guess just given the kind of comedy that I do and being in Australia, which is, you know, like very much like a small place, um, I was just at a point where comedy was really frustrating for me. It was just really hard to make a living doing it. And Mm -hmm. I think I just had come to one of those points where I was just like, I just have to kind of bow out gracefully now. Um, And uh, I had done the reverse racism joke for a while and we had accidentally uh ended up taping one of our last uh fear of a brown planet shows i used to do a show called fear of a brown planet with my friend uh nazim hussein which is a great name by uh, the way best name ever. uh which, yeah we, we still love um and and a friend of ours had happened to sort of had his had his camera equipment ready and was like hey you got this one of your last shows why don't i film it for you you know just in case 
and which is why we were wearing suits. Like I don't <laughs> normally do comedy in a bow tie. Um, so I had these videos and I thought, yeah, well, like if I'm quitting comedy, I may as well put them online. Like, well, why not? Um, and I had a bunch of clips and reverse racism was just one of them. Like I didn't think it was any better or worse than the other couple of clips that I had. Um, and I put it online and then it went, yeah, it kind of, it went viral and, um, it kind of became my ticket to, um, getting booked outside of Australia. Hmm. Um, right. And it, you know, it's a fantastic piece like that. Um, we will play in the full show. <laughs> I don't know where it'll go, but well, I'm sure we'll play a part of it. Cause I think, yeah, it, like it, it truly like captures a idea that I think so many people of color are just tired of explaining. Mm -hmm. And well, it, it's just a fantastic, you know, like three minute bit that like just gives, lays it all out there and puts it in the context of like, you know, post-colonialism and slavery and all that stuff. And I feel like that's what I really appreciate about your, your comedy is you bring that all into it. Oh, thank you. Well, I actually wrote it, uh, because of like this offhand comment that someone had made to Nazim, uh, someone that both of us had known well for a long time. Hmm. And they it's always the ones this, that are closest to you that hurt you yeah, the most. Yeah, and they dropped this reverse racism thing, and I was so angry uh, that I just wrote it as like, as like this, you know, really snide kind of reply. Like I never sat down and was like, oh, you know, I'm going to crack this this topic and write a, you know, write a, you know, kind of conclusive bit about it but that's the i mean that's how it happened like mm. it was just kind of this thing that just like i couldn't believe that this person had said it right right so part of the reason i also asked you about reverse racism is because the other another thing that um a video of yours that has gone viral was a response to a viral buzzfeed post about muslims so i have to ask you about that oh you did there was <laughs> I didn't even think about that <laughs> Well, I think you did a good, like, you did an interesting critique there. Um, yeah. You know, you're not in the video yourself, but basically there was this video that BuzzFeed put out called I'm Muslim, but I'm not, which was sort of like a sequel to, like, a series of, like, I'm Latino, but I'm not, I'm black, but yeah. I'm not. And it was so, for me, working where I do, you know, like, I was um, didn't produce that video, but, like, watching um, the reaction to it and how it was seen as sort of, like, um, I guess like explaining Muslimness away, perhaps. Yeah. And that was yeah. sort of your critique. So, and at the end, you sort of like make it, like one of the people in the video makes a critique of viral videos. I'm a Muslim and I think it's hard to make complex arguments about race, history, faith, and culture in condensed YouTube videos. What are your thoughts on that? I just want to like have a conversation on what, what was your beef with the video and what was your, what, what do you think it could have done better? Uh, I, I mean, I think really the premise of it was like, I'm Muslim, but I'm still like you. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's kind of the the fundamental sort of the underlying premise of the video, which which to me like basically like having like built an entire career saying I'm not like you, but that's okay. That doesn't mean that like we have to kill each other, right? And our difference is not a justification for like annihilating us right, right um yeah it just felt like like why you know like i felt like we've been apologizing for a long time and it just felt like another kind of apology to me right and you know what's fascinating about it and i have like not talked about this in a public forum but there was like like i said a several of those videos beforehand and it didn't 
have as and the format is exactly the same. It's like I'm Muslim, but I'm not, and it's usually right. and I'm black, but I'm not. And then the second half is I'm Muslim and I am. So it's like a negative statement, like negating stereotypes to right. like saying new stuff. And it, you know, it was fascinating watching about how like you cannot universally apply like this sort of like virality video frame to every community because no, especially especially not Muslims because right. we've been in that spotlight in that laser scope. For so long, right? That it just it it it's it's still that sensitive, right? And it's it was just really, really interesting to see how much more both how much more. First of all, it also like was the original video was like insanely viral compared to the other ones, which I think speaks to like a desire for people to have things that humanize Muslims. Both absolutely, there's desires from that within the community and outside. So absolutely, I, I think that's partially also why it elicited that reaction. In addition to this particular sensitivity that you're talking about. Yeah. No, no, no. And, and I agree. Like, like Muslims also like that stuff. Like that's yeah. like the, that's the ongoing tension within the community is, you know, what's wrong with us saying that we're also American or that we're also Australian and other people saying, well, why do we need to say that? Like, why do we need to say these like, you know, things that basically put white people at ease right. so they don't end up, you know, arresting us or following us or monitoring us or whatever? Like, why do we have to subscribe to these like mundane things just to prove that we're we're not a threat right and you sort of also the the first like sort of inversion of the original thing is you know the original video one person says i'm muslim and i'm not angry and then the first few are like i am angry <laughs> actually okay. i am angry and i have a lot to be angry about can we talk about anger a little bit and why you know anytime i, I love <laughs> i love your talk. anger Amir. i love it that's like one of the things that has always endeared me to your like tweets your videos is like you like put that anger in a place that hits hits so so closely to to my heart you know what i mean like and you put voice to a lot of that stuff so what is the power of anger for like um like the global muslim diaspora it's like so scary for people to think about but it's also yeah. has very real um resonance with i think people of all different backgrounds yeah well it's real like like being treated badly makes you feel angry. Like anyone who's been bullied or oppressed or treated differently or treated unfairly, like it makes you angry. And to be told that you're not allowed to voice that anger or that voicing that anger makes you the threat, not the person who's been threatening you, like that's a really, um, it's, it's incredibly frustrating for people, for communities. And to be able to say it is, is liberating. Right. Um, and you know, other, the other thing that I find fascinating about your comedy is like, um, I know from a personal standpoint, personal experience standpoint, almost nothing about like white people shit in Australia. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what it means to like be exposed to like racism and, and colorism and anti-immigrant bias from the perspective of an Australian, of, of an like Australian Muslim. But like, it's very unique. It's, it's, it's such a special flavor. <laughs> But of somehow your your bits also still hit, hit like the sort of like global, you know, sort of uh, like the, a reaction to this global anti-Muslim um, bias. But there's a specific story of each place, too. And I guess I want to hear like about how you balance like those two things. Yeah, I think. Um, well, and this is something that I uh, that I was wondering about when I started touring internationally. Like, would people in other places get the Australian stuff? Hmm. Um because yeah, when I travel, I see it's a little bit different, but it's it's close enough. Like you know, like 
racists are not that creative. Like it, it's mostly the same. Um, <laughs> and, you know, even, you know, the variations on a theme, right? So yeah. people, so it does resonate. Like, you know, when, if you grow up as a minority in the West, like, I'll, I'll, you know, especially as a, as a Muslim, like a lot of the things are similar. And now the, the reality is that our, you know, the Muslim question, like it's being played out globally. It's being play, played out globally in the, you know, in the same media that we are all consuming. So, you know, in the sense like we're all, we are all experiencing the same thing at the same time in a way. Um, so I think that's why it's, it's, it's easy for it to resonate. Um, the things that are happening in Europe echo what, what's happening in Australia, echo what's happening in the US. Um, they're all shades of, of a similar, of a similar phenomenon. Right. So can you talk specifically though, I know that there, there's similarities, but what is the specific like Australian experience of racism? In your experience. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I can't remember who I was, ex- I was talking to about this the other day, but, you know, so Australia is, uh, is a settler colony. Like that's sort of ground zero, um, is that it was invaded. It was the indigenous population was, you know, decimated. Uh, and then, uh, you know, it, a few centuries later, um, they still had what was called the white Australia policy, which was to prevent you know, what, what, whoever was classified as non-white from immigrating to Australia. So even as the US and the UK and Canada were experiencing immigration from Asia and the Middle East and Africa, you know, that didn't happen in Australia Mm. until like the late sixties, early seventies. And even then, you know, in very particular and specific waves. Um, So for example, um, uh, Southeast Asians came in the early 70s and East Africans didn't arrive until the 90s. So you have a white population that is already in denial about uh, genocide and invasion and settler colonialism right. who then are also dealing with migration later than the rest of the world. So it's a very, you know, when I try to explain that Australia is sort of culturally 15 or 20 years behind the US and the UK, like there, there's a reason for it. Um, and that's just that, like, they, they almost managed to kind of pause history for a little while. Hmm. And, like, for you, what, what, what are some of the examples of that that, like, I might not know as an American? I'm... I mean, I think, you know, uh, the, the everyday examples are, are the same. Um, and just because sure. of my age, uh, I guess, you know, I, 9-11 happened in my second year of university. So growing up, like there was plenty of racism, but it was never about me being Muslim. So it was about me being brown and different. I mean, no one, I don't know when I was going, when I was in high school, no one knew what a Muslim was. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That yeah, was also my experience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, they knew what an Arab was at least, but they didn't know. Yeah. Know or, what a Muslim was. you know, what anyone who might be Arab was. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I, that's how I grew up. I was still a young person when, when the war on terror started. Um, and I think the effects of that are similar everywhere, you know, surveillance and demonization in the media and debates about immigration and do these people fit here and should they be allowed to come and all that kind of stuff. Again, you know, very similar. Um, but I guess creatively, it, it also meant, you know, like when I said Australia sort of paused history, you see it reflected everywhere in politics, in media, like in the UK and the US or Canada, when you debate, you know, whether we 
we suffer from tokenism in politics or tokenism in media when we're talking about people of color being represented. I mean, that, that doesn't even arise in Australia mm. because it's so like overwhelmingly, uh, white. Uh, so creatively also it was really hard. It was really hard to do something that was kind of outside of the box because, you know, there's just kind of no space except for what we managed to create. You know, with Fear of Brown Planet, we really just created our own audience from scratch. People came who were just not being catered to in sort of traditional comedy venues or, regular, you know, traditional comedy shows. But we literally built that from scratch. Right. One of the things you talk about in, in, your, in your first episode with Hari is that he asks you if you're quitting stand-up. Are, are you, and you've tried to say you've tried to quit a bunch. Is there, some, is there something there that, like, is um, the reason why stand-up has been so hard for you? Well, just being based in Australia, it was really hard. It was really, really hard. And I, it was really cool when I finally sort of did a lot of touring outside. Um, but then, I, you know, I, we had a kid and it's... Congrats. Um, thank you. Um, but you stand up is just always something I've just kind of fallen in and out of um, for a bunch of reasons. And maybe just because I didn't like apply myself enough. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> You know, just, yeah, I mean, like high school, <laughs> just, you know, had some raw aptitude, but didn't, didn't work hard enough. Um, wow. Too, too real, too real. But, um, but yeah, and, and that was another thing doing the series was just, it was just really cool to meet, you know, people like, um, and people that I've always been in touch with and that I've hung out with, but to see, you know, especially people like Hassan and Hari, who we were all really kind of started around the same time. Um, and to see how well they're doing and how much of a space they've managed to open up uh, for the style of comedy that we all do. That was really exciting to me. Um, and I think by the end of it, I was really kind of excited to, to kind of try to start doing stand-up again. Oh, great. So you're not quitting. You're, you're, coming, you're thinking about coming back to it. I mean, we'll see, you know. It's Tuesday. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, there's a lot of material. I mean, there's a lot to talk about. That like there's a, there's lot, a lot to be angry about, and to, to the point where it can get overwhelming. You know what mm, I mean? Like, like yeah. sometimes I just think, like, you know, is this helping? You know, is is me doing jokes about this helping? Like, is joking about this helping anymore? Like, that's I think that's a big question post Trump. Like, is trying to be funny about this stuff even you know useful anymore? Right. Is it because, like, I mean, I feel like what you've done a lot is, like, inject, like, the history of, like, you know, um, colonialism and racism. And, like, you know, for a long time, like you said, there's a denial. But now we have, like, at least with Trump, like, such an openly, you know, racist rhetoric coming from it in the U.S. that is undeniable and um, nothing seems to be sticking. So I guess, like, that's part of what, where, like, comedy feels like it's having this, this moment of self-reflection. Like, what, what is the use of it? Yeah. That, that, and also like what really what I think are like historic things like Hassan doing the, the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Right. You know, which I think like only he could have done that at that time in that place with the Muslim ban looming, with, you know, Trump and Bannon uh, in power. Like, like that was, that kind of thing is true, is, is really amazing to me. I want to talk, go in a little bit deeper on this like thing about. What is the what is the power of the joke and what can the jokes do? Like how are mm. you, how are you thinking about that right now? Like what how would you what's the way to think through that problem? And like I mean I think ultimately the reverse racism bit is a good example of something that did something for people. Like I yeah, think people I mean, talk e- about e- even it. if it was accidental. 
<laughs> well, I mean, I don't think you you could aim to to hit a nerve necessarily. Yeah. Unless, you know what I mean? Like that you were just being very real. Uh, I I think the only uh, for me the only way to do it now is to just write stuff that I think is is funny. You know, whether it's about family or political stuff or pop culture, and then, um. Yeah, I, I don't think I can come at it from a, you know, this is the kind of comedy we need now kind of thing. Right. Because um, that's also, like, supremely arrogant <laughs> to think that, like, you know, and I've, I've always tried to say this, that, like, you know, we, we, we love art and art is great and, and, you know, we need to support it or whatever. But it's not, like, if doing this around the world has taught me one thing, like, it has put me constantly face-to-face with people who do, like, really difficult political work. Like when I meet people after shows, like I meet the people who are doing that thankless work, whether it's around immigration or workers' rights or police brutality, like people who don't get to be on stage and get to have audiences and stuff like that. Um, And for me, that's always like the real thing that's going to change stuff, not, you know, um, a comedy special or a video or, or whatever. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure on cam- comedy for whatever reason. I mean, I don't know like what it is, but I think it's I th- I think because people are out of or some people are out of real political solutions. Mm. Right? So people look for like sort of these grand cultural moments where someone is magically going to do a magic trick on television that that changes everything. But that's not that's not how it's done. Like it takes like long, hard, difficult organizing to affect change. Um, but I think we're just so bred to kind of share viral content and share, you know, the latest on a kind of, you know, hot take or this person's kind of woke two minute rant on whatever <laughs> yeah. that, that we really think, you know, and, uh, you know, I hate to sound old, but I really think like there's a generation of, of people who think that that's how, that's how change happens. Um, but I don't think it does. And I'm, I'm not devaluing art or comedy at all. I think, like, it's very necessary to give people something to laugh at and something to enjoy when things are difficult. And I, I think that's it's critical. Right. Um, but I think we just, we just always need to be aware of its limitations. Right. I mean, it's also, but there's also, like, this other side of it. Where, like you said, it's sort of about being out of political solutions. But it's, I guess, when you look at like the way like a lot of like legal victories have been rolled back or like you know we're seeing a revival of you know like you know such clearly xenophobic policies like the muslim ban it feels like mm-hmm. you know like what is you know like you can fight the fight but it feels like you know i i guess there's like a progressive view of history which is like not an accurate view but we want it to be an accurate view which is why like art always seems like a better option for people yeah yeah absolutely i get that You know, we don't all have to talk about politics completely. I mean, that we could, but like, I feel like. Okay, let me let me ask you something. Sure, ask me. Uh, because I've been meaning to post it on a on a Facebook group, but I think you're you're like the perfect person to ask. Uh, a friend of mine once said he was like, "Hey, do you know what the best food combination ever is?" And I was like, <laughs> "I was like, what?" Love like, this question already. Yeah, and I was like, I was like, "What could it possibly be?" And he said, "Biryani and Coke." Oh my God! Yes, I, but I and say then, tandoori chicken. I would yeah, say tandoori and, chicken. And so, and, and I was like, I was so ready to be skeptical of whatever he was about to say, but then I thought about it, and I was like, "That's a pretty 
dope combination. <laughs> I'm glad we we broadly agree on this. That's, but there are some that's pe- very important. I mean, there are people who hate that combo. They're like, oh, it gets too spicy. And I'm like, well, that's the point. You get a whole what? other sense. Wait, wait, wait. Who says that? Other desis, I'm sad to say. Okay. That's, I'm sorry. That's pathetic. <laughs> it gets too... Bring out the anger. Too, it gets too spicy? Yeah, like it's too too intense for them. I'm like, that's the whole point. <sighs> Hold the phone. I'm going to go write some stand-up. This is... I am outraged. I am also outraged. It burns a little bit, but it's amazing. Yeah, it burns so well. But not in a spicy way, like in a carbonated Coke way. (laughs) Yeah. So you're also, like, pretty influenced by... um, I feel like you have a... There's a strong thread of, like, hip-hop and... um, also like interest in fashion in your in your like work. I'm always curious like what that's like when you are relating to a mostly, you know, American subculture as a person who's both not American and also like maybe not necessarily of that subculture at least in a diasporic sense. Well, thank you US hegemony. Like <laughs> yeah. It, it it makes sense to people everywhere. Yeah, you you make a good point like how does like Growing up in Australia, like, what did, you know, why did hip-hop uh, appeal to me? But um, if you grow up in, like, a super white place, um, you know, where do you find an art form that says it's okay to think your teacher's racist? Right. Or it's it's okay to not fit in? Or maybe mm, you don't trust cops? Or, you know, there is such a thing as a system that's designed to privilege some people and disadvantage others like these narratives these kind of ideas didn't exist anywhere else and where do you find an art form that actually talks about islam positively Mm. you know something that talks about the legacies of people like muhammad ali or malcolm x you know people that you've grown up you know uh looking up to and that you know your your family or your friends or your cousins have always talked about like which in which art form are those people presented as heroes instead of dangerous or radicals you know that's that's, I think, you know, a, a huge part of hip hop's power is the, the right. kind of legacies that it that it's preserved and, and resistors um, too. Because, like, when you're looking at other Muslim models, it's not like the leaders of Muslim countries or whatever are going to be like an ethical model for you either. When you're feeling, yeah, exactly, you know, they're irrelevant to you as a young person. Um, and so, so yeah, really, as you know, in terms of like, where do you get content that talks about race um, and that's accessible in the you know in a way that you know you can understand. Um, that was a big part of it. And then specifically, I think political hip hop, like, you know, stuff like Public Enemy, like that really was, I didn't know it at, at the time, but definitely I can see now um, really showed the power of, you know, art to educate and to comment and to critique, um, but in a way that's still entertaining, mm. you know, and I, I still think that about comedy, like at the end of the day, like you can be as woke as you want, like it still needs to be funny. Um and yeah, there's a there's a skit on a Public Enemy album, and this goes back to to anger, uh, where basically it's it's a uh, it's uh, it's like a mashup of people calling into a radio station complaining about Public Enemy, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. saying you know I went to this concert and there was two people with Uzis on either side of the stage, and right. you know like they had the you know they had, they had the S1Ws which were like the backup dancers and like these you know paramilitary fatigues, and people are complaining about how militant they are and how divisive and blah blah blah, 
And then a young black man calls up the station and says, you know, something to the effect of, you know, I don't think what I think your listeners don't understand is that Chuck D uh, is articulating the, uh, the anger of the majority of black youth out there today. And, you know, that for me is like good political art, something that gives voice or re-articulates a sentiment that's already there. It's not, you know, it's never actually saying something new, but it's validating the people who feel that they're not being heard. And that's useful. You know, people are always like, well, you know, who's going to listen to that and change their mind? We're not always trying to change someone's mind. Like what hip hop did for me is validate my, my ideas so that I didn't, you know, I didn't end up thinking I was nuts. Because the first thing people say when you say, well, you know, this is racist is, oh, you're imagining that or it's not real or, you know, there's a problem with you. You see it that way. But what political art does is tell communities and people that, no, like this is this is real. What we're experiencing is real and we're right to feel this way. Right. And as for fashion, I mean, I just I love sneakers. I just love sneakers. Yeah, you always have the best sneakers on in everything that you do. How do you but, talk about shoes on a podcast? There's probably a lot of shoes podcasts that are that are that are much better to talk better. Yeah, but is there like a shoe slash biryani slash comedy podcast? I think that's the podcast that you should start. That sounds like <laughs> I would listen to that. Um, no, I vans are great. Vans and cons, they're they're still. I don't know. I, I some people kind of. What am I trying to say? They don't get the credit they deserve in the sneaker world, I think. Yeah. I always feel like a second-class citizen in the sneaker world. Like, I will pay attention to the rest, but I just don't. We just don't have as many options as, like, if you're into Adidas or, or Nike or whatever. Um, and I don't relate. But I, I admire from afar. It's like a language I don't speak, but I, like, kind of. It's like, you know, an Urdu-Bengali situation where I, like, sort of understand what's being said, but not, not you, completely. You can kind of understand Bengali? Uh yeah, if I oh, shift wow. the vowels okay. a little bit, uh, I just realized that all the vowels are different. And like, this is like so not related to the podcast, but I'm just like, Isn't it? but like, I, listen, I thought the remit of the podcast is like anything generally brown. Like, that's you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. Don't be so, I, you know, I think we're well within the parameters. <laughs> you want to know the word that made me realize that I could start understanding Bengali a little bit better if I just started changing the vowels? The word for what? slap, which in Urdu is tapper, and and in Bengali is tapur. Exactly. The ooh, the ooh comes at the uh, a yeah. little bit. I was like, yeah. oh, you just got to add some oohs in there, and it all starts making a little bit more sense. <laughs> okay, Amazing. so we're running low on time. Can you tell me a little bit more about some of the episodes that you have for uh, Can We Kick It coming out and where people can find uh, them? Yeah, so they're on uh, Ist. Uh, on YouTube. Uh, I post uh, promos on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and stuff like that. Uh, this week's episode is with Brother Ali, who Ooh, is I amazing. Love him. We've interviewed and him. He's fantastic. Yeah, just like just like an amazing soul and very like super lucky to have him as a mentor in my life. Uh, yeah, the, the episode, the tone of the episode completely changes based on like how much of a complete geek and fan i am of the person versus how much of like a close friend i am (laughs) right so you you can you can definitely see like my level like how wide my eyes are while they're talking (laughs) based on how much of a huge fan i am that's the dream right there making it work with friends and yeah and i I just want to say i pitched this show to a number of people uh over the last you know five to six years and everyone was like why why would anyone pay for you to go and hang out with like rappers and comedians well look at me now (laughs) that's all i have to say you made it (laughs) i made it 
Anything else in the works that you want to you uh, share? I mean, look, all, like all the episodes are special to me. Like, uh, so we've got Brother Ali, uh, Pananancho is coming up, uh, Jean Grey. It's basically, it's basically a mixtape of like the people that I think are the coolest in the world. That's fantastic. Um, and, cre- and who creatively, you know, like I've drawn from over the years because there wasn't a lot of people doing what I was doing. So again, you know, seeing Hari's work and seeing Hassan's work and seeing, uh, Muslim rappers like Ali, um, you know, it really helped me keep going. Right. Um, so it's really Same. cool to be able to sit down with them and just chop it up over, you know, whatever. Yeah. And have those conversations in, like that we internally might have, uh, between e- ourselves that aren't going to be reflected in most, um, media places. So that's really exactly. cool to see without like a goal, you know, without like having to like change somebody's mind, just like have those conversations. I think that's, that that's have. a good way to describe how I set out without a goal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, without like a goal of like changing people's minds, you know what I mean? Like no, a lot of content around identity but, around. but also um, you know i went i i by the you know when i was leaving for new york i had maybe half of the episodes locked in hmm. and that was going to be enough for a season uh and then everyone just kept coming back saying yeah sure i'll do it yeah i can make a time yes this and so it, it just kind of doubled and ended up being like it'll be 12 or 13 episodes um but yeah it's somewhere between a mixtape and a podcast and a youtube show well, uh, thank you so much for joining us, Amir. Um, and people can also find you on Twitter and Instagram and all that good stuff. Looking forward to the rest of the episodes, man. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. If you see something, you better, you better say something. Nothing at all, nothing at all. Before we go, I just wanted to again say that while the show is going away, the conversation is still going to continue. And I please encourage you to tweet at us, tell us how much the show meant to you. And I can't wait to keep doing this work in some other form in the future. This episode was produced by the Pod Squad. That is, again, Shagre, Megan Dietrich, Julia Ferlin, Alex Lawson, Camilla Salazar, and me. Um, you can find the show on Facebook and Twitter. You can email us at say something at buzzfeed.com. Please review the show on iTunes. I'm Amadel Yakber. Thanks for listening. <laughs>